And I remember learning about King David and his life and his relationship with God. And I remember even at that really young age, I mean, kindergarten or first grade, I like had this this searing jealousy of David because it was like the relationship that he had with God. I wanted that. And in my religion, I was taught that I could only be special by being good, right? And so when I moved to Utah, it, it, it really created this desire for me to just be the most devout and the most zealous Mormon amongst all of my peers. I ended up going with my Mormon mission companion to a Christian church. It was actually a Baptist church uh, in a town called Winter Garden, Florida, just outside of Orlando. I believe that these people were lost and they needed to be saved. I just remember posing the question. I said, Pastor Benson, what do you think? Like, like what do you think about all these things? Do you have uh, any thoughts about this? And the first thing he said was he said, I appreciate your zeal. I can tell that you're passionate about what you believe, but the message you've shared with me, it's not the gospel of Christ. Well, Micah, it's an honor to be here all the way in Kentucky. Lord brought us out all the way to Kentucky uh, to be able to record your testimony. Thank you for connecting us even with your church and your church opening up your doors to us. We really appreciate it of the pastor. And um, For those who don't know you, who maybe have never seen you, could you just introduce yourself to those who are watching on the other side of the screen? Yeah, so my, my name is Micah Wilder. I am a minister, I'm a musician. I serve in a ministry called Adams Road. Uh, we spend four to five months out of every year traveling throughout North America, sharing our testimonies, sharing the gospel of the grace of God. Uh, I've currently just recently relocated to Kentucky from Florida. I've been married uh, 18 years and have three wonderful sons who are in 11th grade, 10th grade, and 8th grade. And more than anything, my identity is in my relationship with Christ and in the salvation that he's given me. And I'm excited to share my story. Amen. Now, Micah, as I was telling you, um, uh, out of you know, without the cameras, I, uh, your your testimony was one of the first testimonies that I saw online—a powerful testimony coming out of Mormonism and Jesus really revealing Himself to you and um, radically transform your life. I'm really grateful that we get to do this, and for other people to be able to see what God has done in your life. Let's start with your childhood. Um, tell us about your testimony of Jesus starting with your childhood. Yeah, so I uh, I grew up in Indiana. I'm from the Midwest originally, and I was born and raised in a very devout and faithful Mormon home. Uh, my parents raised us in this religion. Um, we were very active in our faith. We went to church every Sunday. We read the scriptures together uh, nearly daily. We prayed together. Uh, I had an incredible childhood. My parents were very loving. I came from a loving family, a loving community. My church was very loving. I had a wonderful experience growing up uh, in the Mormon religion. I remember at a young age, God really instilling in me a desire to have a relationship with him. Like I remember even being four, five, six years old and just like going out into the woods on my own and just like talking to God like he was my best friend and wanting this relationship with him. And the older that I got, the more difficult it became to have that relationship because I could no longer see God directly, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. I saw him through the lens of my religion. I loved my religion. I loved my church, but it also, I had a hard time understanding God's love and his forgiveness and his grace. And so I wanted to know God and to be known by God and to love God and to be loved by God. But I thought the only way to do that was through being faithful to the precepts of my religion. 
And so Mormonism was a very kind of works-based mentality growing up. It was very legalistic, and I was never taught that God's grace was given to me freely or that salvation was given to me freely. I was taught that I had to do my part and that I had to earn it and that I had to prove my worthiness to God through my actions and through my behavior and through my, you know, being faithful to the commandments of this particular religion. And so it kind of created this dichotomy in me where it was like I was, I had this intense and, and tremendous zeal for God, but that zeal began to be misplaced as I got older. Um, and so a, a big change in my life happened when I was 14 years old. And so after having grown up in Indiana, my family and I moved. We moved from Indiana to Utah. And for people that may know, Utah is like the Mecca of Mormonism. It's, it's uh, the headquarters of the Mormon church. Uh, my mother got a job to be a professor at the prestigious Brigham Young University, which is a private-owned Mormon university out in Provo, Utah. And so when I was a freshman in high school, we replanted, we moved to a town called Alpine. It's about 99% Mormon. And all of a sudden, like my entire life was embedded in this culture of Mormonism. I went to high school of, you know, 2,500 kids and 97% of our student body was Mormon. Wow. And so all of our neighbors, my friends... And it was a very unique environment for me to live in because in Indiana, I was definitely the minority in the Mormon church and I was one of very few Mormons. And then I moved to Utah and everybody that I knew, that I knew was part of this religion. But one thing that moving to Utah did in my life and one impact that it made was that it really drove me deeper into my desire to have a relationship with God. Um, it drove me deeper into I guess my religiosity and into me wanting to show God that I was good enough to be loved by him because that's ultimately what I wanted my entire life. I mean, from the time that I was young, I just wanted God to love me and I wanted to have a relationship with God. And I, I even remember, funny enough, as a Mormon, I went to a Baptist school when I was like four or five, six years old. My parents sent me to this private Baptist school. And I remember learning about King David and his life and his relationship with God. And I remember even at that really young age, I mean, kindergarten or first grade, I like had this the searing jealousy of David, because it was like the relationship that he had with God, I wanted that. And, and I wanted to just be special in God's eyes. And in my religion, I was taught that I could only be special by being good, right? And so when I moved to Utah, it, it, it really created this desire for me to just be the most devout and the most zealous Mormon amongst all of my peers. And so when I was a high school student, I was like the quintessential Mormon. I was, you know, Paul talks about how he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, right? And if anyone had the right to boast of the law, that it was him. And I was kind of like that in, in Mormonism. Now, Micah, be, before you get into your life as you became a teen and older, mm -hmm. like as a child, I'm just curious here, what were you told as you mentioned works, mm -hmm. right? And this is how you have to uh, attain essentially a relationship with, with God. But as a child, what were you hearing that you had to do as a child? Was there anything that you had to do as, as a child to be able to have that relationship with God? 
Yeah, so the Mormon church kind of taught me this laundry list of things that we had to do to be in right standing with God. And so they were, you know, as, as a child, they were simple things. It was like attend church regularly. We had to go to church every week. Um, we had to live certain moral codes. We had to live even certain dietary codes. Um, we had to pay tithing, which was 10% of our income. I mean, even as a child, uh, when I was about nine, 10 years old, I had a paper route and I used to get home from school and go to the the local gas station and pick up my 50 papers and put them in my bag and I'd ride my bike all around town and I'd make money from that. And I would actually take 10% of everything that I made and I would go meet with my Mormon leader, my my bishop, or he's like the local pastor. And I would give him, you know, my dollars and cents of everything that I'd made that was 10% of what I had, you know, made as a young man. And then ultimately there were things that I would have to do as I got older. Eventually, I would have to go to the Mormon temple, and there were specific ordinances that when I became of age, I would need to, you know, perform those ordinances. Uh, there was water baptism, which is something that uh, all young Mormon men and women do when they're eight years old. And so, is there it was, specifically eight years old? Or? Specifically, eight years old is when you qualify to be baptized. You don't necessarily have to be, but culturally, if you're active and faithful in Mormonism, you're baptized at the age of eight. They call that the age of accountability. And so I had done all those things. Like I had, you know, my parents had raised me in Mormonism in a way that we followed all the rules to a T. I mean, our, our family was as devoted to this religion as anybody that you could meet. And even myself within my family, I think most of my family members would even agree that I was the most devout of my family. And, um, and, and I saw all those things that I needed to do and I just kept my eye on them and and wanted to, you know, please God through my actions and please him through my works so that I could have that, you know, relationship like David had had with God. This continued through my teenage years, right? So I got to the point where I could understand things a little bit better. I was getting deeper into the doctrines of Mormonism, deeper into, you know, what it meant to be saved and how I could be saved and how I could be declared, you know, as an individual who had right standing with God. And it was not simply by putting my faith in Jesus Christ alone. And I don't want to misrepresent Mormonism because that was an essential, if not the core part of it. I mean, that was the first step, but it wasn't the only step. And so putting faith in Jesus was only part of what saved you. It was only part of what justified you before God, because once you received what Jesus had done for you, then you needed to do what God had required of you for yourself. And so this was, again, a laundry list of many things and just a, a faith way of living your life and being moral and being right and going to church and being active and following the leaders of the Mormon church and following your parents and reading your scriptures and doing all these things. And so, I'm naturally a very competitive person. I grew up in a Mormon environment where they really push greatness. And so music and sports and, and art and academics, and these were all aspects of my life in which I excelled and I was passionate about. And I was also competitive religiously. Like I wanted to be the best of the best Mormons. And, and I can kind of relate to, to Paul where he's talking to the Galatians and he says that he would, was advancing in Judaism beyond many people his own age. How extremely zealous was he for the traditions of his fathers? And so that was me in Mormonism. Like I had this unparalleled zeal um, for God through my religion. And, and what changed uh, from some of the tasks that you had to do as a child to now as a teenager and a, a growing man? 
Yeah. So um, at the age of 12 in Mormonism, the young men receive what's called the priesthood, right? And this is, they claim it to be the same priesthood authority that the priests in the Old Testament had. And so now I had the special and unique authority from God, which meant that my, my standard was even higher, right? So there were certain things I couldn't do and certain shows I couldn't watch. We couldn't drink coffee. We couldn't watch rated R movies. Um, there were just, there, there was an attitude of righteousness that had to be carried out in every facet of life. And then preparing at that point to go forward in my life as a young Mormon man, which meant that after I graduated from high school, I would be expected to go serve a two-year mission. Um, I'd be expected to go to the temple, right? So there were all these things that were beginning to take shape in my life as a young religious man. And I remember like when I was in high school, for example, um, our high school is located about one mile from a Mormon temple. In a Mormon temple, there are these large opulent buildings in which sacred ordinances of Mormonism are performed. And so one of those ordinances is that you go and you, you perform baptisms on behalf of people that have passed away or deceased. And so I used to go with my Mormon girlfriend at six in the morning before we would go to high school and we'd go perform these ordinances in the Mormon temple. Like it was this constant desire for me to want want to prove my worthiness to God and show him that I deserved the best that he had to offer. And I just, I, I wanted him to love me. And I was trying to show God my love by being as good and a faithful as a young Mormon man as I could possibly be. And um, unfortunately, I, I, I had this problem in high school where I would vacillate between very being very confident in my relationship with God and then other moments where I just felt like I was continually falling short and I didn't know if God loved me and I didn't know if he had forgiven me and I didn't know like where I stood with God and it was a, it was a terrifying thing because I never had the assurance of the forgiveness of my sins and when I fell short and I did make mistakes and I did break you know those moral commandments as are so difficult for young you know teenage men and women to to uphold, like I would just slip in almost to this depression where I'd be like, well, does God still love me? Like, have I disappointed him? Like, how do I get back in his favor? And in the Mormon church, there was this very long and convoluted process of repentance. Like I couldn't have a direct relationship with God where I could go directly to him and find penitence for my sins. Like I would have to go and literally physically confess my sins to my Mormon leadership, similar to, you know, Catholicism. And so I'd have to, you know, share what I had done and what rules I had broken. And then I would have to be prescribed this process of penitence, which would, you know, sometimes mean certain punishments. Like I wasn't allowed to take communion at at church or I couldn't pray publicly or things like that. And then I would work through, uh, you know, with him in order to find that forgiveness. And so that was something that I struggled with a lot as a teenager was just, am I in right standing with God? And, and having this mentality of like, when I sinned, then like, I had to start all over and I started at the bottom and then I had to like work my way back into God's love and his grace and forgiveness. And so I think that for me and, and for a lot of people that are in those types of kind of legalistic works-based religions, they live with that fear, that uncertainty as to have I done enough to appease God in this season of life. And so 
you know, I continued pressing forward through high school. I ended up, you know, being kind of the, the, the perfect example to all of my peers, my friends. Everybody knew me and recognized me as a, as a righteous person. I was, you know, kind of perfect on the outside, even though on the inside, I mean, I was, I was filthy, as we all are. I mean, the, I knew the thoughts of my mind. I knew the thoughts of my heart. I knew the desires of my heart at times. But I would hide that because, much like the Pharisees, I was trying to appear clean on the outside, right? And I was like these these whited sepulchers that looked clean and yet inside I was full of dead man's bones. But it didn't deter me, you know, from continuing and pressing forward and desiring that relationship with God in every aspect of my life. And I'd say by the time I was a senior in high school, my relationship with God was the single most important thing to me, which a lot of people can't say that. Even sports and girlfriend and all the other things I had in my life, like my desire to serve God in my life was first and foremost. When I graduated from high school, um, I did a small semester at Brigham Young University, and that's where I prepared to go serve a two-year mission trip. Um, many people have seen the Mormon missionaries. There's, they're the largest missionary force in the world, uh, and they go to you know, places internationally, and this is kind of, it's not necessarily a requirement or a commandment, but it certainly is a cultural expectation that the young men, when they graduate from high school, they're asked to go uh, make this two-year commitment and to dedicate two years of their lives living a very strict uh, code of, of, you know, what they have to do and perform as Mormon missionaries. And I wanted to do that. For me, it wasn't like an expectation. It wasn't something that was a pressure for me by my parents or my friends. Like, I wanted this. And I was excited about this because I believed wholeheartedly that the Mormon church was everything that it claimed to be. I believed that it was the truth as I was taught that it was. And Mormonism claims exclusivity that itself, its organization is the only true Christian church. It is the only way to salvation. And I believe that. And I wanted other people to know that. And I wanted other people to have the truth that I held dear with all my heart and the truth that I was willing to go out and sacrifice two years of my life to share with others. I went through this preparatory process, which is essentially you go through a series of interviews uh, with some of your Mormon leadership, and they deem you to be worthy of this, uh, you know, honor to go be a, a full-time missionary. And uh, you submit paperwork, and then you wait for them to send you a packet. And when you get that packet, it's going to tell you where God has chosen to send you for your two-year mission trip. And it's a very unique experience because uh, you don't get to choose where you go. Okay, these young men that have the white shirts, the ties, and the name tags, and they're riding bicycles and knocking on doors that are all over the world, you don't really get a say in this, right? You just trust your leaders and their relationship with God that they're going to determine for you what is the place that God wants you to serve. And so uh, I, I, I waited faithfully, you know, for this opportunity. And so at 19 years old, I was called on a Mormon mission uh, to the state of Florida. Uh, I had had older brothers that served missions. One of them went to Copenhagen, Denmark, and one went to Moscow, Russia, which are like these awesome, exotic, wonderful places. And I got sent to Florida. Um, but as, as you'll hear in my story, you'll understand that God had designated that to place for me to be, where he was going to reach me with his truth and, and with his gospel. And so 
I uh, arrived in Florida as this very green, uh, innocent, maybe naive Mormon missionary, thinking that I was going to be the greatest missionary of all time, and I was going to convert everybody that I met. And uh, I just, I really believed that. I mean, even prior to my mission, I had been the full, the, the youngest full-time worker in the Mormon temple, like in the world. I mean, this is just who I was. This was my identity was so deeply rooted in this religion. And so I arrived in Florida believing that I had the truth and that I had the endorsement of God, that I had the priesthood power of God, and that I was that I was going to go out and save the lost. And for us as Mormons, the lost was anybody who was not part of our religious construct. And one of the ways that we did that is we would go and we would just proselytize uh, publicly, right? So we'd go and we'd get on our bicycles and we'd find a neighborhood and we would just start to knock on doors. And I quickly learned that people were not very kind and receptive to the message of us coming and knocking on their doors and invading them, you know, in their homes. Um, but it didn't deter me. Um, but I did learn that a lot of people that professed to be Christians did not treat us with Christian love. And, and that was something that, you know, really stuck out to me was just how unkind people were and not just people in general, but people who claimed to us that they were followers of Christ and their response to us would just be a door slammed in our face and a proclamation that we were going to hell. And it, it really kind of made me have a bad perception of the evangelical Christian world honestly. And, and, and it's sad for me to say that, but being a Mormon missionary and being on the other side, it really gave me a, a bad, just kind of a bad taste in my mouth of, of who these Christians supposedly were, because here I was, this young religious man, uh, believing I had the truth and I was living out my truth and I was loving people and serving people and trying to do all the things that, you know, I believe God was calling me to do. And yet when we'd encounter people that said that they were Christians and that they knew Jesus and that they knew the truth, their response to us was, was not love and it wasn't compassion and it wasn't gentleness. I, you know, began to find some fruit and some success as a Mormon missionary. It did not come easily. It was one of the most, you know, even to this day, it's one of the most difficult things I've ever done was, was being a full-time missionary for the Mormon church, uh, you know, enduring rejection on a daily basis. I mean, some people were very vehement in their rejection. They were very unkind. Um, I mean, I had guns pulled on me. I had people, you know, swear at me. We had cars try to run us over. I mean, it was just not overall a, a positive experience, um, but it did teach me uh, you know, to be um, zealous. It did teach me to not be deterred by people and to just continue faithful in what I believed God was calling me to do at that time of my life. And I really believed that I could convert anybody. And I, and I got so kind of confident in, in my assertion that I could do that, that I ended up going with my Mormon mission companion to a Christian church. It was actually a Baptist church uh, in a town called Winter Garden, Florida, just outside of Orlando. And uh, we ended up going there during a Sunday evening service. And a lot of people asked me, well, like, why did you guys go there? I said, because genuinely, I believe that these people were lost and they needed to be saved. And I genuinely believe that this pastor uh, needed the truth that only we could give him. And so we went there because we were doing what we were called to do. And that was to share our truth with other people. And funny enough, like I, I look at myself as a Christian now and I look at the Christian world and it's like, that's what we should be doing, right? I mean, we should be bold and zealous and passionate about wanting to share the gospel with the lost, just like I was doing. I was just, I had a zeal that was misplaced, right? And Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 10, where he says, talking about the 
the Jews, he says, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And so for being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so me as a Mormon missionary and many Mormons, many religious people, sincere, devout religious people, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses, Catholics, Mormons, like they have a sincere zeal for God, but it's misplaced. It's not according to the knowledge of God and the knowledge of God is Christ. And it is his one act of righteousness on the cross that saves us. And so I went to this church and um, my mission companion and I, uh, you know, sat there, we sat through a Sunday evening service. And that was really probably the first time in my life that I'd been kind of directly exposed to evangelical Christianity. I had had Christian friends growing up when I was in Indiana, but none of them ever told me about their faith. Like none of them ever opened the Bible. They never invited me to the church. They never really um, shared the gospel with me. They just kind of assumed I'm Mormon. And so I don't want to hear it. And they just kind of left it at that. And, and Michael, for you, did you ever have a curiosity to open up the Bible? And, and even for people who don't know about uh, Mormonism, like what literature are you guys reading? Did you have access or did you not? Yeah. So in, in Mormonism, uh, we did use the Bible. Um, that was one of our books of scripture, but we had extra biblical scripture as well. Okay. So we had a canon that included a lot of extra biblical scripture and the Bible amongst that canon is probably seen as the least valuable because according to the founder of Mormonism, it, it was corrupt and was not fully translated properly. And so although I read the Bible or parts of the Bible growing up, I did not see it as the infallible authoritative word of God. I, I would look to other extra biblical Mormon scriptures like the Book of Mormon in order to have the fullness of truth delivered to me. And so I, I read the Bible, but I never saw it as the only source of my truth or even the primary source of my truth. That was one thing that we would kind of criticize a lot of Christians about was that they did not believe that the canon of scripture was still open because Mormonism teaches that. They teach modern day revelation. They have what they believe to be prophets and apostles sitting at the head of their organization that still receive revelation from God that can still command God's word to his people wow. and can still write their own scripture. And so- um, And so th this is happening- Today. Today. Like today, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so the Mormon church has a quote-unquote prophet, a man that they deem to be a prophet who has the same prophetic authority as Moses in the Old Testament or Abraham. Wow. And they have 12 apostles that they believe have the same apostolic authority as the 12 apostles, you know, in, in the New Testament church. And so that's why it was so difficult for me too, you know, to be able to truly understand truth was because you're constantly being fed new stuff and new revelation and new commandments and new doctrine. But that's what I believed. And I, and I believe that these men that sat at the head of the sat of the head of this church were truly, you know, called by God and that they truly delivered God's word. And so when I went to this Baptist church and I was kind of exposed to an aspect of Christianity that was was foreign to me, um, even in the service, it was like hearing, you know, preaching and hearing, you know, some testimonies, hearing hymns. I remember a couple of the hymns that they sang. One of them was the old rugged cross. And I think one of them was, was nothing but the blood and just things like that and being impacted by the words um, because it was so different, you know, from what I had been taught my whole life. And, and I don't want to like miss 
misrepresent or diminish Mormonism in the sense of like Jesus was a significant part of my life, but Jesus only got you so far. And so, you know, if you asked a Mormon person, did Jesus die on the cross for your sins? They would say, yes. Did he, you know, was he buried and raised from the grave three days later? Yes. Like, is he the only way that you can be saved? Yes. However, you can't, you can't be saved without him, but you can't be saved only with him, if that makes sense. I remember uh, at, at the end of the service, uh, going up to the front of the stage and meeting this pastor. And uh, his name was Pastor Benson. And I said, Pastor Benson, we're missionaries from the Mormon church and we'd like to sit down with you. We wanna share a message with you and just have a discussion with you about our faith. And uh, every time I tell this story, I think about this man and, I, and I'm impacted by the genuine love that he showed us. And, and if there's one thing that I wanna emphasize in my testimony, it is the power of God's love through his people. You know, Jesus says that we are to love one another as he has loved us. By this will all people know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. And I'm so grateful that God put Christians in my life when I was an unbeliever that loved me in that way. And I'm not talking about the world's love. I'm talking about biblical love. Biblical love is sharing truth with the lost when truth is the hard thing to hear. And our world right now is the opposite. Like we want to affirm everybody in their sin and we want to just tell everybody that in their lost state that they're okay and they're where they should be. But that's the opposite of love. You know, just like God's love for us. Like if God didn't discipline us and correct us, then we would be like illegitimate children, as it says in Hebrews. And so I went to this, this pastor and I was just like, he poured love into us in a way that like he treated us with kindness, like with respect, with gentleness, with compassion. And it's like, well, that seems so obvious, but I had met so many Christians that didn't do that. And even after I met with Pastor Benson, I met a lot of Christians that didn't treat me in that way. And it has been kind of a staple in my life and in my ministry since that I am going to approach people with genuine love and with compassion. That doesn't mean that I have to withhold, withhold truth from them. It doesn't mean that I can't be a bold, unabashed witness of Christ. It just means the way in which I do it can be, you know, it can be loving, it can be compassionate, and mm -hmm. it can be gentle. Now, now, Micah, could you practically take us to through what that encounter was like? So you came up to him, you're ready to convert this guy, you know, this pastor. What was that interaction like? And even when you came up to him, what exactly, if you could remember, if you remember, yeah. what did he say? Yeah. So, I mean, basically I went up to him, I shook his hand, you know, he had a big smile on his face and he introduced himself. And when I you know, asked him if he'd like to sit down and talk, he just very kindly said, I would love to sit down and talk with you guys. And, and even that is a lesson into itself because like how many opportunities do we have? Like if the Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door on a Saturday morning and they say, hey, I wanna sit down and talk with you about God and the Bible. And your response is, I don't, I don't want to, or I don't wanna bother, or you know, you're not gonna convert me. Well, have you ever thought about what God can do through you for them? You know, like, like he saw this as an opportunity and, and, you know, true love to me is sharing Christ, right? That's the greatest form of love that you can show anybody is by opening the word of God and sharing with them the salvation that comes in Christ alone, right? To me. And so he saw that opportunity. And so he just like, he, he was just so kind and, and, and genuine in this interaction 
we ended up just scheduling a time to come back. And that's what we did. I think it was maybe the following day or maybe two days later to kind of have a formal meeting to come to his office. And so my mission companion and I, we went back to the church and we sat down with him across from his desk and we had like a formal meeting. And uh, again, like he, he carried that same spirit of just love, of, of kindness, of compassion. And I don't want to misconstrue that. Like it's not that him being nice to us didn't mean that he was endorsing us and what we did. And, and being kind to other people is not an endorsement um, because that kindness leads us to share truth with them. Now, if we're kind and we don't share truth, that's not love, right? I mean, Jesus came and he brought grace and truth. So he brought God's grace and forgiveness through his offering on the cross, but he also brought truth, right? He's the Logos, the word of God and 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 his word and the Bible and, and all that, like he brought truth and that truth that pierces and it convicts, right? It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we, we ended up like another unique thing about Pastor Benson and how he interacted with us was he actually allowed us kind of, the opportunity to share our beliefs with him without really interrupting us, without kind of, you know, having to feel like he had to go tit for tat and and tell us why we were wrong about certain points at certain times. He just kind of opened the floor and allowed us to share our beliefs. And that's another thing too that I, I was really impacted by because I felt that he genuinely respected me. And because of that, I kind of felt this obligation to reciprocate that respect to him. And so after we kind of got done with the chit chat, uh, we got down to business. And so we went through our presentation and really the, the, if I could define Mormonism or explain kind of its principal precepts in the simplest way, it's that they teach that there are things that an individual must do, works that an individual must perform and ordinances that an individual must receive in addition to having faith in Jesus in order to be saved. So it's like, it is a works-based gospel, which there is only one gospel, but it's, it's, it is another gospel. And as Paul says, if anyone comes to you preaching a gospel other than the one that we have preached, let him be accursed. And it was a gospel centered not on the finished work of Christ, but on the work of man and how we could contribute to what Jesus had done for us. In addition to that, there were extra biblical scriptures, you know, there were other things that, you know, allowed Mormonism to kind of be set aside as a very unique religion that was not part of Orthodox Christianity. And so we're sharing all these things with him. We're kind of sharing with him the foundation of Mormonism, of its founder, of how it came to be. We shared with him our claim that the Mormon church was the only true church of Jesus on the earth, that it had the only authority by which mankind could be saved. And so, you know, and sharing all this with him, it was funny because as I mentioned, he didn't really kind of interact with us as we were sharing. He just, you know, uh, patiently sat and he respectfully listened. And I took that as a sign that like God was convicting him, or the Holy Spirit was convicting him that what we were sharing was true, um, which I came to find out was not the case at all. But after we shared all these things with him, I just remember posing the question. I said, Pastor Benson, what do you think? Like, like, what do you think about all these things? Do you have uh, any thoughts about this? And, um, and the first thing he said was, he said, I appreciate your zeal. I can tell that you're passionate about what you believe. And, and I would echo that. Like, I think that, that Mormons are some of the most genuine, sincere, zealous people um, for the God that they believe in. And I wish more Christians had that type of zeal, like in that type of desire in their hearts to want to share what they believe with other people. But then he said the thing that was like, 
like a bullet to the heart. And he said, but the message you've shared with me, it's not the gospel of Christ. And he said that just very plainly. And, you know, talking about love, like love sometimes is sharing the truth when the truth needs to be shared, even when you know that truth is going to deeply offend or conflict with somebody's deeply held religious beliefs or any beliefs. And um, that was such a hard thing for me to hear. Well, what does he mean? What I shared isn't the gospel. This is the only gospel. Like, we're the only ones that have the truth. And that's when he proceeded to do something that no human being that I'd ever met up to that point in my life had done. And that was, he shared with me the true saving gospel of Christ. So I sat there as this 19-year-old zealous Mormon missionary, um, and, and I heard the truth of the Word of God in a way that it had never been presented to me before. What was unique about Pastor Benson's approach was not that he shared this big elaborate message, you know, in all these religious words, and 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 he didn't take the opportunity to try to, you know, share things in a way that were from his own words. He just opened up the Bible and read the Word of God to us. There's so much power in that. And, and, and even as a Christian, sometimes I forget, like, God's Word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides soul and spirit. It discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And sometimes, you know, we think it's our elegant words of speech, you know, that are going to convince people, and yet the Word of God has an intrinsic power. And that word of God was delivered to me that day, and it's a, it's an experience that I'll never forget. And I remember there there were just certain verses that he shared with me that, like to this day, I I have never forgotten. One of them was Ephesians two eight and nine. It says, "For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing; it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast." And I think one of the other ones was Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, that says that when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And, and what Pastor Benson did was he started to paint a picture that was in stark contrast to the gospel that I knew and was taught growing up and the gospel that I was going out and evangelizing every day as a Mormon missionary. And it was simply that all mankind is, is sinful. And because of our sin, we have fallen short of the glory of God. And we've transgressed God's law. And therefore, we are, we are guilty of damnation. And yet, God in his mercy and his love and in his grace, he sent Jesus to stand in our place as our substitute and to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, what the law could never do on our behalf. And that was that he took the burden of the law upon himself and then he bore in his body our sins on the tree so that we could die to that sin and live to righteousness and by his wounds we could be healed. And so when he went up on the cross, he literally paid in full measure the sin debt of all mankind and that through faith in him, we could be justified, like we could be declared righteous. We could have all of our, our sins washed away and removed as far as the east is from the west. And God's love for each one of us was that deep and that vast and that wide and that immeasurable. That wasn't a love that I understood at that point in my life. It was a love that I was seeking for, but it wasn't a love that I could even comprehend because the God that I knew, like his love for me, it was conditional. It was contingent upon my righteousness and goodness and my ability to, you know, follow the, the tenets of this religion. 
and was not something that was freely offered me in the person of Jesus Christ. And yet, Pastor Benson was making it clear, you cannot earn your salvation. You cannot work for it. There's nothing you can do to contribute to it, and there's nothing you can do to add to it. All you can do is turn and face Christ and trust that he alone has done everything necessary to make you right with God. And that if you do, then you will have the guarantee of your eternal life. You will have the assurance that your sins are forgiven and covered and washed away through the blood of Christ. And that message was, it was a difficult thing for me to comprehend because it seemed too good to be true for one. And I think for a lot of the world, it's like, well, that just seems so simple, but that's what's so beautiful about the gospel. That's why it's good news to the world is because God has removed the onus of our salvation from ourselves and he's put it on Christ Jesus. And all he said is turn and look. You know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And that's what I wanted, but I couldn't, accept that God's love for me was was that great. And I couldn't accept that salvation was that simple because in my religious mind, I couldn't remove myself from the equation of my own salvation because I thought that's not fair. Like I'm doing all these things. I'm such a good person. I'm, I'm working so hard. I'm, I'm proving to God my worthiness through my actions. And you got all these other people that think they can just throw their hands in the air and say that they're saved. And yet we get the same reward. Well, that's not fair. Well, that's the whole point of the gospel. It's not fair. It's not fair for us. And that's a good thing because we deserve death and condemnation and damnation and eternal hell. That's what we deserve. That's what we're guilty of. And it wasn't fair for Jesus because he was given the punishment for our sins, even though he was perfect and blameless. And yet his perfection and his righteousness was given to us freely. And that was put on us in love by God because he wants us to be right with him. And I remember my response to this message was, was really, I just looked at Pastor Benson and I said, well, that just seems too simple. Like, it seems too good to be true. Like, how can you say that we're simply saved by grace alone? And as a Mormon growing up, and, and you know, I can't speak for all Mormons, but for me, I kind of had... I kind of mocked the idea of the evangelical grace because I thought that like Christians saw grace as a, as like a free pass, right? Um, that it was a license to sin, a license to do whatever you want. And of course, for those of us in Christ, we know that's not what grace is, right? Grace does not give us a license to sin. God's God's grace in Christ, it, it creates in us a new heart. It transforms us. It makes us new from the inside out. If anyone is in Christ, it's a new creation. It changes our desires, our passions, what we want to do. And it's not like, it's like an orphan child that God takes and, and finds in the gutters and he pulls him off the streets and brings him into his household and he gives him every right and every honor and every heir that his sons have, like that's what God does with us. So that kid's response to God is, hey, let me see how far I can push God, right? It's not, let me see how disobedient I can be and God still loves me. It's no, like it changes your behavior. And and so I, I couldn't like even comprehend that, that like God would love me outside of like me doing good things for him to be loved. And so the meeting ended with this pastor giving me a very simple, but ultimately a life-changing challenge. And that challenge was go home and read the Bible for yourself. And I remember he said specifically, read it like a child. And I think what that meant was just to remove my religious 
preconceived notions, right? Remove the Mormon lenses through which I would see truth and God and Jesus in the Bible and just um, allow the word of God to speak for itself. I was so convicted and angry um, by this encounter with this pastor. And and I, I want to clarify, it's not because this pastor was mean or deliberately offensive or anything. It's because I was offended by truth. And it's been a lesson to me that when we share truth with people and we do it in love and their response is not positive and sometimes it's negative, that's okay. Like we can't control that. And um, Pastor Benson couldn't control how I responded. All he could do is what he was called to do, and that's to plant and water seeds of the gospel. And so I went back to my missionary apartment and I considered his challenge. Um, not really because I thought that taking the challenge was going to change my life because I thought I already had the truth, right? So I wasn't looking for anything outside of my religion. I wasn't looking for truth outside of Mormonism because I wholeheartedly believed that I had everything I needed in that religion. But I did kind of have this fear that I was going to go through the next two years of my life as a Mormon missionary, and I would keep having encounters with evangelical Christians who kind of, you know, would Bible bash, and I wouldn't really be able to defend my faith. And so I kind of figured I'll read the Bible. It'll give me a better understanding of what the Bible teaches so that I can use the Bible against, you know, the Baptists and, you know, all these other evangelical Christians. But that started a work in my life that in a million years, I never would have expected was going to happen. And for one, that's just a testimony that God reaches us where we are, even when we're not looking to be found. I started reading the Bible just because I thought the Bible was going to convince me more so that Mormonism was everything that it claimed to be. But God's word started to pour into my heart. Like God's truth started to open my eyes to something. And so I started reading the Bible as a Mormon missionary. And we had this uh, time of, of study every morning and we had about two hours. And so I would sit down at my desk and I would generally, I would kind of do my Mormon studies and do the Book of Mormon and do, you know, the stuff that I was supposed to. But the more that I read the Bible, the more I kind of set those things aside. And I really just became consumed by reading the Bible itself. And in particular, I was reading the New Testament. I made a commitment to read from Matthew to Revelation for the first time in my life. I'd never done that all the way through. And so I started and I remember getting to the end of Revelation and I just said to myself, I want more. And so I started to read again. It wasn't like anything I read, like all of a sudden changed my life. I didn't have like some singular epiphany reading through the New Testament one time, but I did sense that it was feeding me something that I wanted more of. And even though I didn't fully understand it, God was doing something in my heart. Like, like he was beginning to reveal Christ to me in a way that I had never before known him. I started reading the New Testament again, and I did this for 20 consecutive months. Like I would read sometimes my entire two hour study block. And then I'd read, you know, during my lunch breaks and my dinner breaks, and I'd read in my bed at night before it. I was consumed by God's word. And in total, I ended up reading the New Testament uh, 12 times over those 20 months. What God was doing in my heart was he was revealing to me ultimately the same thing that Pastor Benson had so passionately shared with me. And that was that Christ alone was sufficient to save me from my sins. And that the work that he had finished on the cross, that he had done everything necessary for my salvation. And all he was doing was asking me to trust that Jesus was enough. 
it was a terrifying thing because I was still this faithful Mormon missionary and I'm still going out wearing my name tag, you know, that represents myself to the world as, as a Mormon. And yet God was doing this miraculous transformation in my heart and he was opening my eyes. And like the only analogy I can think is like the blind man in John chapter nine, where Jesus spits in the ground and he makes mud and he puts mud in the blind man's eyes. And then he asks him to go wash in the pool of Siloam and he washes the mud out with the water. And it's like, then he can finally see. It's like I had mud put in my eyes and yet through the water of the word of God, like God began to open my eyes to Jesus and, and to his word and to the gospel in a way that I had never before known, but in a way that I was so drawn to. And um, my whole life, I had had this kind of gaping hole and there was a void and that void I was constantly trying to fill by being good, right? It's like, well, I don't feel like I'm at peace with God. Therefore, I need to read my scriptures for more. I need to go to church more. I need to pray more. I need to pay more tithing. I, you know, I just need to be better, better, better. And it was like, no matter what I did, it was never enough until God revealed the person of Christ to me through his word. And then for the first time in my life, that, that void was filled. Like Christ became the sufficiency for my every need. I got to the point where I had about three weeks left of my two-year Mormon mission, and after reading the Word of God for 20 months, I finally recognized that Jesus was the only way that I could be saved, that he was the answer to my every problem. And he is for every human being. Like, he is the answer to every human condition. I remember just pleading with God to save me. Like coming to the end of my rope and just telling him I can't do it anymore. You know, like I can't, I can't be good enough for you, but I trust that Christ is enough for me. And um, I cried out to God. And as the word says, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's what I did. I confessed and I believed. I put my hope and my trust and my faith in Christ alone. And I set aside all of my, you know, religiosity and all of my legalism and all of my pharisaical mindset and mentality and all the works of my religion. And I turned to Christ and I trusted that he alone was enough for me. And by the grace of God, I was born again, supernaturally. I, I became a new person. Like God changed me, um, gave me a new heart, gave me an assurance, gave me a joy, a hope, a peace that I could never find in the world. I remember on my, my Mormon mission reading John chapter 6, and it says that where he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And just feeling like for the first time in my life, this immense burden had been lifted from my shoulders that I had had the weight of my sin and the weight of the law and all these things, and it, it was crushing me under its tremendous weight, and yet Jesus came and he released me from that. And uh, so if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. And so I found that freedom in Christ alone. But I was terrified at the same time because like I, now I was this born-again believer. I didn't even understand like, you know, the cultural ramifications of what it meant to be a quote-unquote Christian. I just knew through God's word that he had saved me through the power of his son. But I was still a Mormon missionary. And um, and I had three weeks left. And I remember just, I'm like, God, 
what am I going to do now? Like, there's no way I can finish the three weeks of my mission and go door to door and like basically live a lie um, because I no longer believed in, you know, the, the principal aspects of Mormonism anymore. My faith was now in Christ alone. And I was certainly no theologian. I didn't, you know, understand a lot, but what I did understand was Christ had saved me and he was enough uh, for me from then and forever. And were you sharing this as far as the people that were around you at this time, were you sharing this with anybody or with, was this just happening between you and God alone or were your friends knowing about what was happening? Yeah, so I was beginning to, I think, bear fruit, right, of what God was doing in my life, but I, but it wasn't deliberate, like, because I didn't even have a full understanding. Like, I didn't really know until the very end, until, like, that day that I became born again, that all of the things that God was teaching me and all the things that I learned through his word, like, fully contradicted the Mormon church, right? That the whole fundamental foundation of of Mormonism was not true, that it was built on, you know, a sandy foundation that was not the saving gospel of Christ. I didn't even realize that fully until that moment. However, as God was revealing his love to me, his grace to me, his, his mercy to me, his truth to me through his word, like I was starting to share that with other people. I was sharing it with my family members, with my, you know, my girlfriend who was back in Utah. I was sharing it, you know, with my mission companions and and people that I was meeting, um, not really understanding what it meant, but I just couldn't contain it within myself. And so now I was in a very difficult predicament though, because I'm like, well, how do I continue on without incriminating myself? And, and, you know, just being candid, like I didn't want you know, the, the punishment of my leadership. I didn't want the embarrassment of, you know, having become an apostate and I didn't really know what to do or how God was going to get me out of the situation. And really quick, Michael, for those who don't know, um, when you, when you mentioned punishment, right. And you mentioned the term, even apostate, you becoming, uh, evangelical Christian. Mm -hmm. What did that mean? And from your understanding of the consequences of that, what are those consequences Consequences when a Mormon turns into an evangelical Christian? Yeah, I mean, there are certain core beliefs that you have to have to be considered worthy in the Mormon church. If you have those beliefs, then, you know, you have the opportunity through righteous living to eventually make it to heaven, right? To, to, to be eternally in the presence of God. Um, if you forsake that, you, you lose your opportunity to live eternally in the presence of God. You lose the highest level of heaven. You lose, um, you know, even your family. You can lose your friends. You can lose, um, you know, the respect and admiration of your community. People can lose jobs. They can lose, you know, even marriages, you know, fall apart. Children, like, I mean, it, it has severe ramifications because you're seen as somebody who is no longer, you know, in the truth and in the true church and, and, and somebody who's even saved at that point. And so I had that fear myself of, you know, how, how are people going to perceive me? But I was not in fear for my salvation. And I knew that it did not matter what man did or a man said because they could not take away what God had irrevocably given me in Christ. And that's the hope that all of us believers should have. Now, God put me in a very unique situation because it's, it's a tradition that when you're about to conclude your two-year mission trip, okay, and I was just at this point, I'd become born again, I had three weeks left, right? Right. 
that you have this opportunity as a kind of seasoned veteran missionary where you stand publicly and give kind of a departing testimony. So you stand in front of like 60 Mormon missionaries, your Mormon leadership, and you share with them what you've learned throughout the course of your mission. And it's kind of used as this exercise to um, inspire, right, the younger missionaries. And so I had this opportunity, and this is like two days after I'd become born again. And now I'm supposed to share a public testimony. And so I got up there and just to God's glory, to his strength, and by his grace, I shared what God had done in my life. And I, and I publicly declared the salvation that I found in Christ alone and uh, basically said that, you know, I didn't need any church or religious institution or man or authority or anything to be saved, that I had found the security and the assurance of my salvation in Jesus Christ alone and that I'd come to know for the first time in my life that I was saved and I was forgiven and that was not in me boasting of myself and it's not because of what I had done for God, it's because I had finally recognized what, what God had done for me in sending Jesus Christ to die for my sin. And, uh, you know, there was uh, definitely a, a mixed reaction um, by the audience, but you could tell that it, it did impact some people. Other people were shocked. I think my, my leader uh, didn't even know how to respond to that. But uh, I didn't know what the ramifications were going to be. Um, and then just a couple of days later, my Mormon leader, who is present during that testimony, called me up and he said, we need to talk. And, uh, and I quickly knew that like, I could no longer hide what God had done in my life. And, and I knew that I no longer believed in you know, certain pillars of, of the Mormon testimony and of the Mormon faith, and that denying those things would mean like losing everything, right? I, I, I would be disfellowshipped, possibly excommunicated from the church. Um, I would lose my scholarship uh, at, at Brigham Young University. I would lose my relationships potentially with my family, you know, my friends, my community, um, just everything. Like my entire life's foundation had been built upon, you know, my zeal in this religious system. And I was so afraid of losing those things. I was so afraid of giving up uh, the things that I had known and loved for the sake of Christ. But I also knew that what I had found in Christ, I couldn't find anywhere else. I, I found that strength from God's word, you know, that, that he would sustain me and that he was sufficient and that if I trusted in him, that it didn't matter what I lose. And that's the beauty of, of what Jesus offers is it doesn't matter what we give up or what we walk away from or at what cost comes our discipleship. You know, just like Paul said, you know, that, that what he had found in Christ, it surpassed everything else, you know, that, that whatever, gain that he has, it, it counts as nothing compared to the surpassing worth that he's found in Christ Jesus alone. And, and that resonated with me as well. And so I told my Mormon leader, you know, face to face, we had like a three hour meeting um, where I basically told him, I, I don't need anything or anyone but Christ to be saved. And, and I trust that what he's done for me is enough to bring me into right standing with God. And, and I don't need the Mormon church anymore or its leadership or its prophets or its doctrines or man-made, you know, commandments to, to know that I'm right with God, that, that I'm right with God through um, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, his response to me was basically that I was being deceived, you know, that I was believing in a false gospel, that I was being led astray by Satan. Uh, he actually told me that I was filled with the spirit of the devil. Um, he threatened to excommunicate me. And then at that point, my mission was concluded. I was put on a plane the following day and I was sent home. I was deemed unworthy uh, to continue on as a Mormon missionary. And I then had to go face more 
disciplinary council uh, in Utah. I had to face my leadership there and, uh, you know, shared my testimony again of what God had done in my life. Uh, it, it was, I, I was 21 at the time, and it was frightening to face my parents. My mom at the time was a tenured professor at BYU. My dad was a high priest in the Mormon church. My older brothers had faithfully served Mormon missions. Um, and I had to tell them that I no longer believed in the religion in which they had raised me, that I no longer believed that it was the way to salvation. And I remember being home with my parents and just telling them, Mom and Dad, I, I just want you to read the Bible. Like, I, I want you to know what I've come to know. And like, that's my heart as a believer after 18 years and and should be the heart of all of us. And that's that we just want people to have in Christ what we have found in Christ. I mean, that's why we're called to the Great Commission, right? To go out and proclaim, you know, the, the gospel to all of creation. Because I know what Jesus offers. I know the freedom that he gives. I know what he's done. I know the burden of sin that he's borne for me. And, and I want other people to have that. And I want other people to know him. And for me, at least, like when I first came to salvation, I wanted the people that I loved the most to know Jesus first. It was my family, right? It was my parents and my siblings. And I just gave them that challenge, read the Bible like a child. And I gave that challenge to my siblings as well. And God began to work in their hearts and lives and begin to, you know, do miraculous things in, in the people around me. And one thing I've learned is that God's return, God's word does not return void. They you know that it accomplishes right. that which is set out to accomplish. But faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And how are they to hear unless someone preaches? Like we have to share the gospel. Like in love, we have to open our mouths and proclaim truth to the lost. And my family was lost and I wanted them to be found and to be brought out of darkness into, you know, God's glorious light. And so um, the first person that God actually redeemed in my kind of inner circle of life was actually my high school Mormon girlfriend. Uh, we had fallen in love in high school. We had been devout Mormons together. When I was on my mission in Florida, she was at BYU in Utah. And when I was undergoing through this transformation through the power of God's word, I was writing her emails um, That was just, and handwritten letters. That was the only way we were allowed to communicate. We had very strict communication rules. And once a week, I was allowed to write handwritten letters to people outside of my immediate family. And so I started to share with her what, what God was doing in my life and uh, encourage her to read the Bible. And so when she was a student at a Mormon university, she began reading the Word of God and God changed her life. And, and, and she was born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, she got saved. And so when I got home off my mission, she and I, actually God brought us back together, both as new creations in Christ Jesus. And uh, we ended up running away and we moved to Florida and we eloped at Disney World. <laughs> Um, 18 years ago, and God began, uh, you know, uh, a work in our lives uh, in, a, in a ministry to to share the gospel with the lost. God began to work in my parents' lives, my siblings, my older brother Matt, and my younger sister Katie, uh, through the power of God's word, also came to saving faith in Jesus Christ and uh, have since been born again and have dedicated their lives to the ministering of God's word to the lost. My parents, Michael and Lynn, they had everything in the world to lose. I mean, my mom would lose her tenured position at a prestigious university. They would lose everything that they knew and loved. My dad would most likely lose his business and all of his clientele and this life of Mormonism that they had worked so hard to build. Um, but they were open to that challenge. And I think they were more curious than anything else as to what had caused me the willingness to walk away from everything 
and that something was Jesus, and Jesus is worth the loss of all things. And it doesn't matter what we sacrifice for Christ, because in him, we have the sufficiency of our every need. And so, God began to work in their hearts, and they began to read the Bible, and and over the course of about a year and a half, my mother and father also came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that, that he alone could save them in a way that their religion never could. And my mother uh, resigned her tenureship at BYU. They left their comfortable lives in Alpine, Utah. They moved to Florida uh, and started all over in their mid-50s, were literally born again. Um, I'm so grateful to God for finding me, for giving me life when, when I was dead. He can do that for any person. Like, that's, that's the beauty of the gospel, is that it, 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 is, it is without prejudice. Like, like, there's no person or individual or situation or lifestyle or religion from which God cannot redeem a person. And mine was Mormonism, but there are millions of testimonies out there. And yet, each one of those testimonies leads us all to the same place, and that is Christ. And, and his love and his word and his truth. And, and I'm so grateful that God, you know, redeemed me and just like that lost sheep on the mountainside that, that he found me and he put me on his shoulders and, uh, and he carried me to safety. And I just give him all the praise and all the glory. Micah, who is Jesus to you? Jesus is my salvation. He is my redeemer. He is the word. He is the only one that could save me. And he is the one that stepped in my place and went on the cross and bore my sins in his body so that I could be saved. He's everything. He's enough. Micah, I'm sure that as you were going door to door, and even besides that, as you were sharing Mormonism with other people, that there were some that you converted or there were some that said, you know what, I believe in this. I want to join this. What would you say to that person that's watching right now that said, hey, I remember him. I gave my life to Mormonism because of him. What would you say to that person who's watching right now? I gave my heart and soul to the Mormon church. I gave my heart and soul to trying to convince people that it was the only way to they could be saved and that they could find peace with God. But I've found something infinitely and eternally greater than a religion, than Mormonism, and that something is Christ. That's something greater than the temple is here. And I have found the very thing that I was trying to seek for in Mormonism. I have found that peace and I have found that redemption and that forgiveness that I never could have in that religion. And I I want you to find that as well. I want you to know that all of those things in religion, they cannot save and they cannot bring you into a right standing with God that only trusting in Jesus alone can. And I want people to know with the same veracity that I had for Mormonism, I want to have a greater zeal for a greater truth that is found in Jesus alone. Now, Micah, do you still have relationship with that pastor, the Baptist pastor that uh, evangelized to you? I do. I do. Um, When I first got saved, I uh, 
I, I looked him up on the internet. He, he was no longer at that church and I found him and uh, somehow I found a way to contact him and I called him and I said, Pastor Benson, my name's Micah Wilder. You might remember me as Elder Wilder. Uh, do you remember me? And he said, oh, I remember you. <laughs> and I shared my testimony with him and it was a very tear-filled tear-filled uh, experience for both of us. And one of the things that he shared with me that I've never forgotten to this day that I think is an encouragement and should be an encouragement to us, he said, I walked away from that meeting with you feeling like nothing I said made any impact on you. Wow. And he walked away feeling like it was a failed experience and that he hadn't faithfully done anything according to God's word because of my reaction, because I was angry at him, I was convicted. It's just been an awesome encouragement to me because I've shared the gospel with a lot of people. I've shared the gospel personally with hundreds, if not thousands of Mormons, uh, including my own family, my in-laws. I have a lot of friends and people that are in my inner circle of life that still don't know Christ, and it's easy to be frustrated. Um, but to remember that if, if we share God's word and we plant seeds in love of his truth, that God can do amazing things with that. And I'm grateful for Pastor Benson. For I'm grateful for his dedication to God's word and for his love for me, that he saw me not as some helpless, hopeless Mormon missionary that could never be saved, but he saw me as a potential fruit of the gospel and the gospel message. And so he's been one of my closest friends to this day. We stay in communication often and I just praise God for him in my life. Amen. Michael, for those who are watching right now and are wanting what you have, you know, they want that freedom, they want uh, that relationship with Jesus. Uh, maybe they're connecting to different parts of your testimony and want that. Could you pray for those who are watching right now, whatever God puts in your heart to pray over them? Yeah. Heavenly Father, we, we praise you and thank you that you've even given us the right to be called your children. I know there's a lot of people watching this testimony that want a relationship with you. They, they want to be identified as a son or a daughter of God. They want to be adopted into your household. They want to have the assurance of the forgiveness of their sins of knowing that they have peace with you, of knowing that they, they can rest from their works and that they can lay the burden of their sin at the foot of the cross. Father, I pray for those people right now. I pray that they will be drawn to you through your Holy Spirit. I pray that they will go to your word and open up your word and that they will just feast on the bread of life, that they will come to know that Jesus can fill every void and every need in their lives, that they will know that that relationship with Jesus is, is of more value than anything that this world could ever offer, and that he is more valuable than anything that they could ever lose. Father, we, we know that no one comes to you, no one comes to Jesus unless the Father who sent him draws them. And we know that you're drawing so many people into a relationship with you and into your truth. And we just ask that, that you will work in the hearts of these people right now through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you will open the eyes of the blind, that you will uh, give hearing to the deaf, and that you will 
give life to the dead, Father. And we love you, and we know that you alone are enough. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Micah, any last words for people who are watching your testimony right now? If you're afraid of losing something or giving something up or a cost that may come from knowing Jesus, let me tell you that he's worth it. That that what you will find in Christ will be of greater value than anything in this world, than any relationship, than any burden of sin that you may have, than any lifestyle that is not according to the word of God, that giving that up for the sake of Christ, it is and will always be worth the trade. And that you will find life in him that, that you cannot find anywhere else. And Jesus came to give life and to give it abundantly. And that doesn't mean an abundance of worldly things. It doesn't mean an abundance of comfort in this world. It means the spiritual life that he gives us and the promise that we have that we will be in his kingdom forever. And that's what God has offered me. And and all the things that I lost in my previous life of religion, I I consider those things as lost compared to what I have found in Jesus Christ alone. And I would just encourage you to hold on to Christ and trust him and that he will give you everything that you've ever needed. Hey, everybody. I hope the new testimony has blessed you, has encouraged you. Just wanted to let you know that if you are in need of help, that we have people that are ready to speak with you. So down in the description box below, in the comment section, uh, if you're watching from YouTube, if you're listening from our podcast, just look for the link that says, talk to someone who cares. Click on that, fill out the form, and somebody will get in contact with you locally. Now, this is only available to people in the U.S. right now, but we are working to get resources for our international viewers and listeners. But for right now, if you are in the U.S. and you need help, you need to talk with somebody, please fill out that form and somebody will reach out to you. God bless you, and we'll see you on the next testimony.